Well, hello out there. It's Jolene with Ghost Towns and History of Montana. Thanks so much for joining us for another podcast. Today, I'm going to tell you a pioneer's story of early day life on the plains and in the old mining camp towns of Montana Territory. This appeared in the Kevin Review newspaper, October 7th, 1926. It's by Mrs. M.E. Plasman. The experiences of any pioneer of Montana who came here in the 60s are worth relating, but sometimes it is not an easy task to persuade one of these to unburden himself for the benefit of the public. He needs to be in a communicative mood and amid the right surroundings. Often his memories seem trivial to him, although they might be of intense interest to the present-day hearer and invaluable to the collector of historical data. Pioneer meetings furnish the best opportunity to hear these tales, yet even there, frequently, considerable persuasion is needed to gain the sought-for facts. The surprising truth is pioneers are modest and self-effacing and do not enjoy talking about themselves. While at the pioneer meeting at Fort Benton, the most enjoyable pioneer meeting ever held in the state, I realized that here were men and women who had taken active part in the building of the state and who possessed a fund of information relating to its territorial days. I interviewed several, but was handicapped in my efforts by constantly running across old acquaintances and former neighbors of mine in the picturesque river town. The time was all too short for the work I undertook. I was seated in the Choteau house one morning near a quiet elderly gentleman whose pioneer button proclaimed him to be one of the early settlers of Montana. He was a stranger to me, but the button he wore served as an introduction and we were soon in converse. I learned that he was Mr. Ryan, a pioneer of 1864 and now a sheep man folder. It was with traditional British reluctance that he disclosed the material which forms the basis for this sketch. Mr. Ryan was born in Caledonia, Canada close to the Vermont line in 1848. The gold discoveries in Montana induced him, when a mere boy, to undertake the tiresome and dangerous westward journey. And, as I have already stated, it was in 1864 he arrived at the mining camp of Nevada City. Any small group of houses claimed to be a city in those days. Their remains can be seen in many a mountain canyon. The route taken by Mr. Ryan was the same our party followed a year earlier, and he traveled in the same manner, in a covered wagon drawn by oxen. That train he accompanied consisted of 16 families. All of that company are now deceased with the exception of two persons. When in the Black Hills, the cattle were poisoned by a weed they ate. That they did not die is evident or Mr. Ryan would not have reached Montana, there being less travel through the Black Hills and Landers Cutoff than by the Oregon Trail or that of the Mormons, 
A train stranded there was almost certain to be destroyed by the Indians, who justly resented the invasion of their country by the immigrants. Somewhere in this region, Mr. Ryan says, they came upon the remains of what had once been a train of 50 wagons. These had been burned. Nothing left but the tires and other pieces of iron. A tragedy had been enacted there, but what? They never learned. The whole thing was and remained a mystery. If the train was attacked and burned by Indians, why did they not carry away the iron? Which metal they greatly prized. There was not even a scrap of paper there to serve as a clue to the problem. While returning in 1865, we passed a government train, which had been attacked by Indians, looted of supplies, the stock captured, and all the wagon boss could do until reinforcements arrived was to sit on the wagon tongue and swear at the Indian race in general and the Sioux in particular. The oaths he used were choice and expressive and would have seared the consciousness of the victorious Sioux if they could have understood. We did, but happily they were not directed at us. Trains were attacked by Indians and immigrants killed behind and ahead of the train with which Mr. Ryan traveled. This was unmolested. After his arrival in Montana, Mr. Ryan engaged in mining in Virginia City and in Helena. Later, he bought cattle and now, as previously stated, is in the sheep business. Like all bona fide pioneers, he has a distinct memory of the high prices of food products, which eclipsed those which existed during the late war to end war. He mentions the rapid rise of flour. $75 one week, it shot up to $125 the next. That popular delicacy apple pie was made of dried apples from which the juice had been extracted in order to make cider. At what price they sold, I do not know. Once, while on his way to Boulder in the winter of 1864-65, Mr. Ryan met with an adventure worth recounting. Night was coming on when he crossed the Jefferson River, and he applied at a cabin there for permission to stay overnight under its roof. I have no blankets or place for you to sleep, said its owner. Oh, that makes no difference, was the reply. All I want is a place to sleep and a chance for my horse at the haystack. Being tired from his journey, Mr. Ryan curled up in a corner and was about dropping off to sleep when five men entered the room and started a card game. Undoubtedly, much liquor was drunk and... Soon, card playing became too tame for these strangers. They began to shoot at the ceiling, the walls, and everything in sight. Fortunately, they failed to notice the youth in the corner, who had rolled over on his stomach and made himself as small as possible that he might not be the target for any stray shots. The shooting continued until the men wearied of it. At about 5 a.m., they left the house. Mr. Ryan then went out of doors and carefully noticed the direction they had taken, as he did not care to run into the five or have them run into him. Having taken leave of his host, Mr. Ryan left the house. He had not gone far before he met 30 mounted and well-armed men, who asked him if he had seen anything of five men they described. 
He assured them that such was the case. What road did they take was the next question, and Mr. Ryan hastened to answer. That one, when they put spurs to their horses and were soon out of sight. They were vigilantes, out in search of the marksmen of the former night. Before long, they caught up with the five, and it was ascertained later, and two of them were hanged. But what became of the other three? questioned Mr. Ryan. They will never trouble you again, was the ambiguous reply. Similar incidents to this I have narrated were then happening in many lonely spots throughout Montana. The vigilantes made thorough work of their job with the result that for many years, desperados steered clear of its borders. The drastic action of this first law and order league to be organized later made vastly easier the task of the judges who came later. How it would have been possible for these to function without this preliminary house cleaning can only be imagined. Well, thank you for being with us today. We hope you check back in soon. Until then, come check us out on Facebook. We're Ghost Towns and History of Montana or on Instagram, MT Ghost Towns. Until next time, you take care out there.